0: If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisn'tdead.com.
1: This is not a story, it's a road trip. And like any road trip, the stuff that ends up important isn't the stops planned along the way, but the detours you're forced to make. The weird vignettes caught out of the corner of your eye. The places you never thought you'd end up, and that you'll never return to. This isn't the ending I thought we were heading for. But it's the ending we're gonna get. Alice, I but not Alice. I don't talk to her this way anymore.
2: Because I sit next to her in this truck, day after day after week after week. Who needs a radio when I can put out my hand and rest it gently on her arm or her leg and let my touch communicate all we're still unable to say? It isn't the same between us, not yet, but I'm willing to wait it out until I've made it right. I hope all of this that we've been through was worth
1: it. Nothing ever could be.
0: Dead by Joseph Fink, performed by Jessica Nicole and Erica Livingston, produced by Disparition. Part 3, Chapter 1, Cause and Effect.
1: We arrived in Arizona, at the amazing Painted Rocks, a miracle of art! Two exclamation points in the name, if you're counting. I doubt it was much of an impressive attraction when it was open. And now, years into abandonment, the desert was reclaiming its own. Whatever paint had been on the rocks was peeling. It looked like they had gotten sick. Their natural color with this off-putting pallor. Alice didn't look much better. She kept glancing around those paint-faded rocks and the former ticket booth that was now home to a family of lizards like an ambush was waiting for her in this abandonment. What's wrong? I said. Nothing, she said. I've been here before. I don't want to talk about it. (sighs) Of course you don't, I said. Of course she didn't. I didn't push. I didn't care. How many secrets am I supposed to care about at once? I did a lap around the place. There wasn't much to it. The parking lot, cracked and covered in dirt. The ticket booth and the once-painted rocks. The bathrooms, surprisingly still pretty clean, but I doubted the plumbing worked, so I left them alone. I didn't search too closely. I knew there was something hidden in that place, but I didn't need to find it.
2: We've left Arizona, now the job is done. Gotta get out of state for a bit. Gone to the coast, straight west to water, and then turn north. On the 101 south of Santa Barbara, there are oil rigs out on the water. Like giants from a monster movie, stepping up out of the depths.
1: Tucked into the hills along the road, I see the fire of a refinery, burning constant and hot. Strange against the lush, post-rain greenery.
2: There was so much hidden at the amazing paint rocks. Physically hidden, but also hidden there was a story I'm not ready to tell her. How am I supposed to explain how the gut bottom shock of that place nearly took me off my feet when I stepped out of the truck? Because she hadn't told me where we were going, because she didn't think it mattered because she didn't know that if my story had a first sentence, then that first sentence took place there. My secret is buried there, along with whatever else they've put in the earth, but it'll have to stay buried. We had a job to do, right? And not a lot of time to do it. So we got this stuff from the trailer. Carefully, we've been real careful with all of this. But the moment you get confidence in your own care, that's when you slip up. That's when it all goes so we didn't take any of it for granted. We checked for any possible trip hazards before taking every step. We split up, went through the place, laying down what we had throughout. We didn't talk as we worked. There was some pointing, facial expressions indicating yes or no, or how the fuck should I know? Figure it out on your own. I don't know if it would have made a difference if we talked,
1: but we didn't. South of Santa Barbara is the town of La Conchita, tucked between the highway and the hillside, which is, in California, a dangerous place to be. Landslides have been reported here for well over a century. It might be this stretch of land was cleared out specifically to put some distance between the hills and the railroad tracks. And yet people filled that margin with houses, and then a town,
2: the first major landslide of modern times happened in 1995. The town was declared a geological hazard area. Everyone knew it was going to happen again, but they stayed. Then in 2005, even more of the hillside collapsed, killing 10 people. A report from the U.S. government said that, quote, no part of the community can be considered safe from landslides. And yet, La just still has a population of over 300.
1: I shouldn't judge. No one should. We all do lots of things we shouldn't, though. It's hard to walk away from something you've put your whole life into, even if you know it may end up killing you. Once all the elements were in place, we went through and double-checked. We didn't have a lot of time, but not much point in doing this if we're not doing it right. So we cross-checked each other's work. And then we went back to the truck, not in the parking lot, parked way farther back, because we still hadn't quite worked out the safe distance for this kind of stuff. We went there, and I pulled out a cell phone I bought from a gas station two states away. I asked Alice if she was ready. She said she was. I thought about Earl. Murdered outside of a diner by the thistle man. Murdered as I ran away. I can never make up for that. But maybe I can make small steps in the right direction. So I pressed the call button. The amazing painted rocks, a miracle of art. Two exclamation points in all blew up. The rocks with traces of paint left on them. Those bathrooms still somehow clean. The deteriorating parking lot. The ticket booth and... Yeah, I did feel bad about the lizards, but every war is gonna have its casualties. We watched the remnants rain back down to Earth. And then we got in the truck and got out of there before someone on the highway noticed and tried to figure out which authority you call about a bunch of rocks blowing up in the middle of nowhere.
2: Walking along the beach in Santa Barbara and there's two old men sitting on the wall between the sidewalk and the sand. One lights a cigarette and the other one says, those cause cancer. And the smoker says, cigarettes don't cause cancer, people cause cancer. And then he laughs for a long, long time. I buy a smoothie with whey protein in it half a block away and drink it with my feet in the sand, looking out
1: at the water. I miss home. But home isn't a place. Home is a person. I want to go home, but I am home.
2: Sometimes folks on TV call us the derelict bombers, but mostly they don't know what to say about us. What kind of message are we sending by bombing empty buildings and abandoned roadside stops? We've never even come close to hurting a person. and all the places we blow up, no one is even clear who owns them, it having been so long since anyone did anything with them. We don't worry about what the journalists think we're doing. The message is not for them. Five months since I pulled her out of that underground base. Five months of living like this. Parking the truck far from the highway behind trees and brush. Living always as wanted people. Never turning our faces fully to a stranger.
1: We found each other. We're both here. Now what? Now we turn to open war. It took us a couple of months to learn enough and gather the materials so we felt we could pull off these bombings reliably. Because we're not interested in accidentally blowing ourselves up. We're in this for the long haul, and we can take the time to learn what we're doing. A lot of googling from public libraries and looking formulas up in physical books so we wouldn't set off any flags from those that monitor us all. And once we felt confident, we went and blew up our first Bay and Creek base entrance. They have these hidden bases everywhere, and once you know what you're looking for, it's relatively easy to find them. Abandoned places near to a highway, with murky ownership leading through shell company after shell company. What waits in the abandoned places? We know. Secret doors to secret bases. A tiny latch or switch hidden somewhere in a roadside derelict, which opens up the door to Bay and Creek. But we don't even need to find it. We just blow the whole place up, leave the entrance unusable. Not a devastating attack, of course. But hopefully annoying to Bay and Creek. Hopefully causing them a great deal of trouble.
2: But I can tell Keisha has had it. I can tell she no longer thinks this is enough. Because it isn't, is it? It's not enough to just annoy them. We're like mosquitoes, she says. Mosquitoes kill over a million people a year, I point out, but she snorts. We're not giving them malaria, she says. Well, maybe we should consider doing that, I say. I laugh. (laughs) She doesn't.
1: We don't have malaria. What we have is information. We know about Bay and Creek, and we know about Thistle and the US government. We need to get that information out of us and into the world. All of those journalists wondering what the derelict bombers are about. The message wasn't for them, but maybe it should be. I start making calls cold-calling the folks I see on important-looking bylines from phone booths on our lunch stops and fuel breaks. Mostly I get hung up on. But this woman, Tamara Levitt's Los Angeles Times, she tells me, I'll need proof. And I say, I can give you that.
2: Causality is a tricky thing. Cigarettes don't cause cancer. People don't cause cancer. It is the intersection of the two which makes cancer happen.
1: This next part I didn't see. I didn't know about it until later, and even then I can only extrapolate. I don't have any participants who would be interested in talking to me and if there were any witnesses they wouldn't have survived the witnessing. In a field somewhere, let's say Nebraska, only it's not Nebraska but it's similar to Nebraska, a man walks out along the grass, there's something wrong with how he's walking, he has a limp maybe, except it's not regular enough to be a limp. His walk is wobbly and wet, like he's shifting himself along on piles of mud. As he gets closer, there is the huff and snort of his breath. His skin hangs loose from his face. His eyes are yellow around the pupils. His teeth are yellow, too. His polo shirt says thistle. He is greeted by a group of men just like him. Boogeymen out of nightmares. There are hundreds of them in this remote field. They were scattered out into the highways when their town near Victorville had been discovered. But they have slowly made their way to this place, picking off innocent people as they went. Traces of blood leading to a point on a map. And here at this point, they gather. A final person joins the group. She does not look like the rest of them. She wears a Bay and Creek uniform. Her name is Lucy. Once I thought she had rescued me from the Thistle Town. Once I followed her to the Salton Sea. Once she let me walk away from a Bay and Creek base, let me think it was an act of mercy. Now she looks over this group of serial-killing monsters, and she smiles and says, Okay, let's get to work.
0: Check out aliceisntdead.com for more information on this show, and to see our merch, like the Alice Isn't Dead shirt and poster, the Thistle Hat, and, brand new for this season, the Enamel Alice Logo Pen. This show would not be possible without our Patreon supporters, such as the ethereal Yael McHugh, the inventive Kevin Land, the reliable Scott Fry, and the jocular David Collins. If you would like to join these folks in helping us make this show, please check out patreon.com slash Alice Isn't Dead, where you can get rewards like director's commentary on every episode, live video streams with the cast and crew, bonus episodes, and more. So there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first 10 years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, the Halloween moon my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. Today's quote, she could only cry in loud whispers between her sobs after her sweet, dim perspective of hope that along some pathway they should meet with unchanged recognition and take up the backward years as yesterday. From Middlemarch by George Eliot. Thanks for listening.
3: This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com. Hello, iPod broadcast listeners. My name is Meg, and I am one of the esteemed tri-hosts of the beloved iBroad Good Morning Night Vale. I, along with my hilarious friends, fellow Night Vale actors, passionate eaters, and soft-hitting journalists, Symphony Sanders and Hal Lovelin, are now over 100 episodes into our deep-dive recap show of Welcome to Night Vale. We've tackled topics like soft meat crown head cannons, Cecil's fashion, and whether Steve Scones were really all that terrible, plus behind-the-scenes stories from the Night Vale creative family. And we've heard from listeners like you about queer representation, Night Vale named pets, major theories, minor questions, and of course, best and worst practices for um, alternative spa therapy services. If you know, you know. Check out Good Morning Night Vale every other Thursday, wherever you get your iBroads, iCasts, PodBrods, and Podcasts. I think I like PodBroads the best. I'm a real PodBrod myself.